Today's Pilkei Avot. Ready? Ready. Okay. So we got to Mishnah Gimel. Perek Aleph, Mishnah Gimel. Let me know when you have it. Okay. <laughs> what a good way of using your time in quarantine. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, here's the villa, Ken. Hanasvia, I see you. <laughs> okay, Jordan, you have it? Which safer are you in so I can go and get it? Sorry. Oh, we're in today we're doing Pirkei Avot. Wait, last time we were in Pirkei Avot with me or with, with Navi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, I think we were doing Pirkei Avot. It's, I feel like... Um, I think so too. Yeah, okay, I'm going to go get it. Just start. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. So today is Pirkei Avot. Uh, although I was thinking of maybe doing twice a week the Pirkei Avot and uh, the Navi and then instead of the Pirkei Avot. I don't know. I need to hear feedback to, to know what to do. Um, Jordan, you haven't been in Navi. You've just been in Pirkei Avot, right? Yeah, just Pirkei Avot. Right. And... Hansvi has been also Navi and also Pilkeavot. So I, I just, according to your feedback, so if you think it's better to, whatever, if, I don't know if to do Pilkeavot Bemet or just Navi, so whatever, whatever I hear from you. I think I, both is good. Okay. It's good to hear from someone who heard both, so then I can get like a real opinion. Okay, fine. So we got to Mishnah Gimel. Okay. Shall we read it so you practice the Hebrew first? I'll say it after me so you can hear the pronunciation. 
go like this if it's okay. Sorry, you're aware. Okay. I'm sorry. Your chapter. The first chapter, Mishnah Gimel. Thank you. Hey, Jamie. I'm sitting here. I'm next. To, I'm sitting next to Hasvia. That's not on camera. <laughs> okay. I'm here. I see you. <laughs> Hi. What time is it over there? Ah, oh, South Africa is different. What time is it in South Africa? It's six. We're in Albahan as well. Ken, I know. I know you guys are in Israel, and you are in a quarantine in America, and you're in Cape Town. I'm just wondering what time it is there, but okay. It's in the morning for you. Okay, let's just start. Antignosh isocho. So the point is that you say after me, so that I have to hear you. <laughs> you also practice your Hebrew and your pronunciation. And also like somehow, maybe some of it, got, you get the vibe of, of what's, we get into it, we delve into the Mishnah if you read it out loud. So unmute and we'll try again. Thank you. Kibel Mishimon Hatzadik. Kibel Hamesha Meshin et Harav. Hamesha Meshin et Harav. Almenat. Almenat. Lekabel Peras. Lekabel Peras. Elahevu. Elahevu. Haravadim. Vihi mora, vihi mora, shamaim alechem, shamaim alechem. Look at Ishtagen, like the Yeshiva Bachar is saying it with a nigga. Except you, Jordan, I didn't hear you. And also, Yerden, I didn't hear you, but okay. Let's go into it. We started it last time when we just touched upon it. Wait, what? Questions? No, so I'll stand. What? No questions. Do you mind if I ask oh, okay. a question? Yes, of course. No, of course I don't mind. Where is everybody? 
Where is everybody? everybody well, you are everybody. Is everybody in Israel? And I'm the only one not? Ah, nope, nope, nope. Jordan over there on the right is in Cape Town. Ah, okay. Okay. You know, then, which is when English is called Diana Rose from. <laughs> he is somewhere in America. I don't know where in America. Chicago. Oh. Chicago. Know the Goodmans? <laughs> Do I know the Goodmans? Uh -huh. Um, not familiar. Do you know okay. what area? Yeah. Okay, no worries. Okay. All right, cool. Okay. And where it says he says this and the villa, the villa is the Maya, not villa in Israel, near Shalai. All right, all right. Yep, they got stuck in Israel before, like when, when everything shut down, they got stuck in Israel and now they can't move. Uh, Quote unquote stuck, but we chose to be, yeah, thank God we're stuck. Yeah, <laughs> really. Best place All in Yeah. How is it there? So good, we miss you guys. It was 95 degrees today. It's hot. It was very hot. Today was very hot. Supposed to be like that the whole weekend. We're going to have to have some patty. Hey, shall we start? <laughs> now that we got to know everybody. And what is this Yael? Who's Yael? Is it? is it the Yael that is from our year? Um, okay. <laughs> so... We talked about, we started, we touched upon this at the end of the last time we did Pilkei Avot. We talked a little bit about Antignos, the guy who's in this Mishnah, his name is Antignos, which is a very Greek kind of name. It's not, it's not an Israeli name, it's not a Jewish name. Again, it's not called Yaakov Moshe, it's not, it's called Antignos. That means his parents were influenced by the Greeks. This is the time period when the Greek, when the Greeks were like an empire. Not only did they conquer places physically, but also like um, thought-wise, like their philosophies and, and they brought the new, like the new wave, the new wave of, uh, of, of philosophy and thinking and, and every, you know, everything that the, Greek, uh, the Greeks represented, Aristo and Socrates and all those, okay? Okay, so he is the Rosh Yeshiva, he is the one who continues the, after the Sanhedrin, so he's one of the leaders and Ish Soho means he's from a place called Soho, which is, uh, I think, around, I think I checked once and it was around Midbar Yehuda. He received from Shimona Tzadik. Shimona Tzadik was, again, I told you there's a, there's a neighborhood in Yerushalayim called Shimona Tzadik. The late train goes past it. He's very in Yerushalayim. He was one of the, at the last from the Sanhedrin, one of the 120 of the Sanhedrin. So he was one of the last, and he was like in, in like that gap generation, one of the last of the Sanhedrin, and the first after the Sanhedrin was already dispersed. Now Antignos, his rabbi was Shimon HaTzadik. So this is the period after Sanhedrin, when the Greeks ruled, and it's a new time, new time period in, in Jewish history. Kapish, that's like background, Jewish historical background. I think it helps a lot when you know the background, you, you understand things and like just simple the way they are, like, you know, just by knowing the background. Shat. Okay. Hu haya omer. He used to say, again, when it's hu haya omer, just even the way you say it, like the hu haya omer, other hu, is from his inside. He used to say, this was his mantra. This was his, this was what guided him in life. This was what he used to say and what he used to live by. This was his thing. Ken? It wasn't a one-time thing. He said many things, but if it says hu haya omer, his essence would say, like, this is what he represented. And what did he say? 
Aha! This is what he said. Do not be like Avadim, Eved, slaves. Do not be like Avadim, Hamishamashina Tarav. Who, like, remember, we, we just touched upon this last time. Shamash, like Shamash in the, in the menorah, is the one who, like, gives the light over. He, like, serves, he serves the rabbi. He's like the Mishamish. He goes around and lights the, the, the light of the rabbi. He goes around and serves him. So don't be like slaves that are serving the rabbi or the great one in order to get a pass. I know in your English translation it says, uh, I think it says reward, right? Yes. Right. But pass is, it's very easy to, actually I don't understand why they did not do it, translate it exactly and uh, literally as prize. Pras and prize are the same word. They come from the... I, Again, Jordan, you know more better than me because you're a linguist. I think they come from either Persian or Greek word prize, which means same thing in Hebrew, in Greek, in, in all those languages that just copied from each other. Like you say pizza, and in every culture, pizza is the same, but it's Italian. So, pras is prize, the same, just different accents. Okay? This is what he says. Ella, but before we go on, before we go on, again, ah, okay. In order to really understand why this is so important, why what he said is has such a has such a, a significance, it's so profound. You have to understand the background. This is the time again. We were talking Greek. This is the time when there were two major philosophies that were like storming in and and making wind all over the world. The first one was. I think it's called also in English Hinduism, H-E-N-D-O. Did you hear about it? Hindu, Hinduism, which believed that um, it's easy, it's simple to say that, that you should really answer your desires. That's like a simple way of saying it, but it's much more than that. The reality in the world was, well, I'm talking too much. If you have questions, then stop me. <laughs> but the reality in the world mostly was the people, most people just worked from dawn to dusk you just worked and worked and, and work wasn't like today that you just like doo -doo -doo -doo, this is my work i high tech da -da -da -da, you know phone calls and kind of work like that you sit on an air-conditioned office and that's your work working meant slaving away i mean that was the only, you didn't have all these professions that you have today like like hardly working means you got up early and you took your sheep out and on in the, in the sun or you or you harvest, or you sow the land, like work, work, real work, not like to the like fake work, you know? Like teaching, what kind of work is teaching? I have, uh, my family thinks this, I don't really work. They always say, you don't really work, you're just enjoying yourself. You're like talking in class, we see you having fun, telling them about current events. <laughs> Anything nobody else wants to listen to me, I tell you, and I feel like such a, you know, I know it. It's fun, it's, it's, not, it's not real work, you know? I'm just having fun. But, Baruch Hashem, that today I can do that. I'm honored and privileged. But those days, people just worked and worked and worked. If you were privileged, if you were Jewish and you were privileged and you had a, 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 your family was, let's say, rich and they could afford to let you go, then you didn't have to, when you were like about, like, even, depends how long. Usually till you were 18, that was the tops. After you were 18, you already, that, that was the end. But till 18, if you, again, if you had a rich family, then you could go and like they would let you to go and like search for yourself and find yourself 
before you go under the yoke of, of Parnasa. You can go and ask questions and go and learn Torah and do that kind of stuff, you know? But that was only if you came from a rich family. And that was, that was kind of rare. But uh, again, by 18, it's usually it was finished. Not like, well, unlike the, like, unlike the Haredim today, like they do that as a principle and they do that for the rest of their life, then it was only common among the rich people who could afford it. And even then it wasn't like all their life. It was just, you know, here and there. Rabbi Akiva was an exception. Okay, so if somebody, if somebody was young and had the opportunity to look, to try to find answers about life, they would go, I mean, they would, they would go to the, they would try to listen and they would hear all these Jewish, all of a sudden there's all these philosophies, there's all these Greek philosophies and, and it's beyond just working and sowing the land. It's thinking about what is the purpose of, of man in the world. It's like, whoa, we're opening people's minds. It was, it was incredible. We didn't have that before. The maximum that you had was like paganism. And then this is like a soft paganism. Like um, Greek, Greek mythology, is, is, it's also paganism. You know? I mean, you have Zeus and you have so many gods, but it's not, it's less statues that you worship the statues. You really understand that the statues just represent and they're not the actual statues. It's like beyond that a bit. It's more abstract. Is it whatever I said till now? Is that kind of clear? Am I making? Am I drawing the picture in a way that makes sense? Kentuda. Okay. So here they open their minds and they have answers for these great questions because there's this new school of thought and it's called Hinduism. And Hinduism says that how can you know anything is true? How can you know what is true in life? If you were looking for emit, how do you know what is emit? You go to one person, he says, this is emit. You go to another person and he says, something else is the opposite is emit. So how do you know what is emit? They say the only thing that you could really know, at, know in, the, in the most real sense of knowing is by, is by your senses, not by your mind, because some, your mind can play tricks. You can think this or you can think the opposite, but it's by your senses. If you feel some, if something gives you pleasure, then that is good. If something gives you pain, that is bad. Simple as that. So if you want to get the, the most out of this world and if you want to uh, fulfill whatever you are in this world, you have to do what makes you avoid pain as much as possible and try to achieve as much as possible pleasure. Nice, no? <laughs> And they say, but give them some credit. It's not as, it sounds like maybe, you know, like give them credit. They said more than that. They also gave you a tip and said, uh, they said, well, you should also know that doing moral things gives you a pleasure that is even surpasses the pleasure of a cup of wine, which you have pleasure for that minute, but then afterwards you have a headache or anything that is short-term. Physical pleasure is short-term. Doing moral things gives you pleasure for a longer term. You can remember, oh, I did this, uh, well, it's a mitzvah, but they didn't call it mitzvah. I did this good deed. And then you have pleasure for a long time. For long term, you feel good about yourself. So, so it wasn't just all about like um, drinking and eating and sleeping. It was also about doing good things. And that, again, they're saying your senses will tell you if that is, if something is pleasurable, that would tell you that it is good. And pleasurable, again, could also be moral things. Well, Kapisha, I mean, can you see? And that was a new thing. As, and then, as a, 
an answer to that, like as a counter thing, there came another school of thought, and that was kind of new this time of Antigonus. And they kind of said the opposite. It was founded probably by the Talmud, by the student of uh, Socrates, Socrates, I don't know his English. And he said the opposite. He founded a school that was called Stoics. You heard about being Stoic? Stoicism? Stoicism. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Stoicism is kind of the opposite because you see there's a problem with this. The first, the first theory, there's a problem because you can do many things that give you pleasure but give other people pain, right? Big problem. It's, it's so undefined. It could be so, so problematic. So this school of thought is the opposite. And they said, no, you have to think beyond your pleasures and your senses. And you have to realize that there's something beyond. And really, what should guide you in life is not if something gives you pleasure or pain, but your conscience. And you should be one with nature. And just, if you have, if you have um, good, if you're, if you have, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? If you have prosperity, then be happy with the prosperity that you have. If you live in a, in a generation when there's a plague and everything is bad, be happy with the plague. It has, it has nothing to do with you personally, like as an, in this place. Your nature is the real thing. And you're just a little pawn in nature, P-A-W-N, pawn. Like you're just one thing in nature. And there's no room for your personal sense, for your senses or like your subjective way of, of of perceiving nature. So you have to be, so forget about emotions. Try to even neutralize your emotions and just be content and, and open your logic and be one with nature, but there's no room really for emotion. It's the opposite, like don't, it's not about pleasure, it's about logic, nature, but not your personal way. So what do you do, but again, what's your guidance, how do you, what should guide you in life? In life? Your conscience. Ken, what do you think about those two schools? Would you more feel related? I, can I give you just an example that happened today because I can't resist? Did you hear about the pigua today? You did? Uh, you're not on my news chat? <laughs> okay, today there was a pigua. Yes, there was a pigua. Pigua means a terror attack. So what happened was um, the south of Hebron, Mount Hebron, there was a, an Arab who drove, I think it's called a, yeah, it's called a ramming, a ramming attack. He drove his car into like, uh, there's, a, there's a post of soldiers there. It's near a settlement called Negohot. My sister-in-law lives there. There's, there's a post of, um, it's, it's West Bank. It's like really, it's really over the green line, but there were soldiers there and he, ran into the soldiers with his uh, with his car he like drove and he injured one of the, the soldiers over there Achayal, who's now in the hospital uh we had to dive in front but i don't know his name yet and immediately the friends of this Chayal shot him in the car so so the the arab is dead why am i giving you this example besides telling you what's going on in israel which i think is important for you to know it's because it reminded me last time there was a ramming attack. It was next to where I live. It was next to Maladumim, and it was crazy because also what happened was that the guy who was the Arab who was driving was a big, it was a big van. He was driving the van into the 
And so the soldiers that were there, there's a soldier who was just going to the bathroom. There was like, there's a boot, boot like a post where the bathroom is, like a chemical bathroom. And we're just going there. We just drove into him. And it was, and there was, uh, because it was next to the post, and there's a camera over there, you saw the, see the whole thing. Whoa, you, you drove over him, and then he got out of the car with a, with a knife or something sharp. And after he drove over him, over him he started stabbing him. The knife was fell. Crazy. But then after, in the, after the whole thing was over, then there was, a, there was a video of this Arab who was driving the van. There was a video of him in his car, in the van, because he recorded himself before doing the, actually the pigua. Do you see, you know, Adam, did you see the, this recording? Did anyone see, know what I'm talking about? No. So he recorded and like he recorded like what he was going to do. Saying I'm on the way to do, it was all in Arabic, but there was, um, it was of course translated. I'm going, I'm on my way to do a pigua, a terror attack. I, this, these are, might be my last words. I'm doing it because, uh, because I have to, because I'm forced to, because I got into trouble. And if I don't do it, I, my family is into trouble. So I'm doing this to clear my conscience so my family will be okay. So why am I? Yes, true story. Check it. Crazy. And then he goes and he not only runs over the chayal, he also goes and tries stabbing it. Also, he had explosives in the van. So his initial, he was trying to cover himself all up. I guess he was also meant to, like, if he had a chance to throw the explosive beside, but he didn't get to do the Hashem. Wait, does Crazy. anyone watch Fauda? I watched only one chapter and I couldn't watch anymore. Too much for me. It's a lot of it's gruesome, but this is literally the last season was this exact scenario of um, like you start to feel for the Arab family and become close to them and like they're really great people and they end up committing atrocious acts against Israelis because they are trying to clear their name. It's an exact scenario, it seems like. Okay, is based a lot on real life. That's why it's also, I think, successful because it has a lot of truth in it. But what threw me is that the guy uses the word conscience. Like you would think that the most unconscious, the most thing against conscience, against a person's conscience and moral ethics is to run over other people and kill them. That, that would seem that that would defy a person's conscience to kill somebody else. But he used that word to justify his deeds because he said, I can't have the blood of my family on my conscience. So other Arabs were threatening him to do it. And the way that was the way he saw, that's how we define where his conscience lays. So also conscience isn't always, is not, you know, he can use it this way or the opposite way. Instead of saying my conscience tells me not to kill other innocent people. He said, I can have, he says, other, my, my, my family is under threat. I can't, under, I can't have under my conscience their blood and, and therefore I have to do what other people tell me to do, and therefore I will try to kill Israelis. Otherwise, that's what my conscience tells me to do in order to save my family. So conscience cannot be, you know, it's not a, how do you call it, a thumb rule? Because it could be manipulated. That's what I'm looking for. It could be totally, this case shows you how it could be so manipulated. Ken? Hi. <laughs> right. How did we get to that? So imagine you are living in this time period and you have these two schools of thought and you're like, wow, so people, t I'm a modern person. I live in 300 BCE before counting. And 
I have there's so therefore I don't only have to toil and work the land. I also have these smart people from overseas, these Greek people who have these great ideas and thoughts and they really deliberate what is the point of person, man on earth. And I, I can try to find what, before I go and become just, you know, like a, a robot, just working for my family, I could open my mind and, and find a way and find a reason for my life. And then you might say, well, but since I am a Jew, maybe I will now go to, to hear, what does the Jewish standpoint say? What is there, my, the, the biggest rabbi, what does he say about that? Does he, there's these two schools of thought. Where does the Jewish thought come in? Does it reconcile these two words? This one is a damp one. Let's hear my rabbi. Even now with this corona, like people always say, well, what does Judaism say? Like you could ask, what does Hashem want from me? Like you have all these different ideas and you want to hear what is the Jewish idea? I might accept it or not, but I want to hear. So he goes to the, so this, Israeli guy, which I'm talking about, which is like just any young guy that time period, would go to the Bet Midrash of Antignos because he is, first of all, he is the Rosh Hado, he's, the, he's like the, the head of that generation. That's why he's mentioned him in Tokyabot. Even the fact that his name is Antignos might show that he's probably open-minded to the Greek philosophies and everything because, again, he's called, like, you know, he's Antignos. He's not uh, he's like somebody who's maybe more affiliated with what's going on. Even his name says it. So we go into the Ben Milash and say, Rabbi, what do you say? What is the purpose of man in life? How should I conduct my life? What should lead me? What thought should lead me in life? And since those two thoughts that we just mentioned are in the background, and Antignos indeed knows about them, so he has to give an answer like the Jewish standpoint, uh, not unconscious, but just like in the whole, this whole, world where those two thoughts exist and where do we stand and this is what he says that's why that's why this is what he says because if you know the background then this stands as like a counter to this background so he says now if you say don't be as he doesn't say don't be slaves says the is in hebrew is a, it's, a, it's a letter that shows like um, comparison. Don't be ke or ka, as. Like if you say to someone, uh, you're as beautiful as a rose, ke shoshana. The ka means as, okay? So if he says, what really he's saying here is giving a parable. He's saying, don't be as, don't be like. I'm giving a parable of something. Don't be like, like that character in this parable. And the parable is that there's avadim, there are slaves that are serving the rabbi, in order to get a prize. So he says, don't be like slaves that are serving the rabbi in order to get a prize. Ella, but on the contrary, Ella, be like slaves that serve the rabbi, in order to not get a prize. Now, since we said this is a parable and mashal, don't be as, so there's slaves, there's two characters, there's slaves and there's a rabbi. Who, what are, do those two characters represent? What are the slaves and what is the rabbi? You tell me. Are we the slaves and God is the rabbi? Yes, nice, thank you. <laughs> Ken, that's what all, yes, thank you. 
we are slaves in this world, or servants. It's nice to say servants, really. Slaves has such a bad connotation, especially if I talk to Americans. Oh, and also to South Africans, definitely. <laughs> so don't be like servants, better. That, um, that serve Hashem in order to get a prize. But be the servants that serve Hashem in order to not get a prize, or not in order to get a prize. Actually, the Yemenites that came to Israel about uh, Tamav 82, was it? Or before? Um, before but whatever, they came. What year did the Yemenites come to Israel? I forgot. But, um, uh, I don't remember. Uh, I think for some reason I have 82 in my mind, but it doesn't make sense. I think it has to be much before. Anyways, when the Yemenites came to Israel, they brought with them uh, their Sfarim. Their Sfarim. They're like, uh, they had their Tanakh. They brought like old, old, old um, books. They had, they also had Talmud and, and Gemara and all these things. And they also had, they had Mishnah. And their old, old books have, sometimes they have a little bit of a difference in, the, in what it says there. In their book, it doesn't say, Shalom. Uh, oh, I don't know what you, your translation might be actually based on the Yemenite transcript. What does it say in yours? Does it say Shalom Almenat Lekabel Pas or does it say Almenat Shalom? Shalom Almenat or Almenat Shalom? What does it say in yours? Sorry, who are you asking? Any of you that I'm going to answer. And you are my class. I am now presenting the class and asking the question. The difference was, sorry, can you repeat the difference? Does it say in your transcript, I really don't know what it says, and you probably all have Chabad transcript. Does it say, Shalom Al-Minat, or does it say, Al-Minat Shalom? Almanach, uh, Almanach, the latter. Nice. So you have it based on the Yemenite one? Mine says the opposite, but yours is probably more correct. Um, that's what linguists and the, all these the researchers say, that the Yemenite one is, is actually more accurate because it's more, it's older. So, hello. <laughs> so it really, so it's probably what yours is right, better than mine. Almenat Shalom means in order to not. Shalom Almenat, if it says Shalom Almenat, it means not in order to get a reward, or not, sorry, not in order to get a prize. And if it says Almenat Shalom, it means in order to not, which is even stronger. Serve God in order to not is stronger than not in order to get a prize. So agree? Okay, so that's what he said. I feel there is. I'm sorry. I have got one child who uh, whose car died. <laughs> so. Oh, whose car died? Wow! I just yeah, heard died. And I was very, uh, yep. Sorry. Disturbing. I'm gonna have to bug out. Thank you very much. Good luck. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, back to what we were saying. So, ta -ta -ta, shalom so do not, if, till now, there were two thoughts, two brief thoughts. One said, 
serve your 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 senses trust your instincts trust your senses and and that's what you have to serve your senses that means whatever gives you joy and pleasure do whatever gives you pain try to avoid as much as possible that was school, school thought number one school number school number two school thought number two said don't go don't trust your senses just you are just, you have to be one with nature and just just like ride with the nature and neutralize your emotions your emotions have no place your senses and emotions have no place to be stoic be like just short and just be at the at the present in the present and nothing beyond the present so and your you should, that's what should lead you so either your conscious and your conscious conscience should lead you that was the other school thought so here comes he says what we just proved now with what I told you about today with that Arab with that terrorist that conscience can be manipulated but also trusting your emotions and, and like what you feel is also totally is not not the way Judaism sees it because again what gives you joy can give somebody else pain that is not should not be your thumb in your life it says really at the end of the day you're it's not conscience and it's not what you feel is right or pleasurable at the end of the day we have a handy book it's like a guidebook and that is the Torah and so you have to serve Hashem and that was what you believe you should be like servants who are serving Hashem and you should do it not in order to get a prize. If you're, if you're serving Hashem and, and doing mitzvot because you want to get reward, or again, I'm using reward, see how, because you want to get a prize, then you're not doing it for the right reason. You have to do it just because a servant has to, has to serve his master because he's a servant, not because he's not in order to expect a prize. That's what he says. Okay, what do you say about that? Acceptable? Okay, of course it's acceptable because, <laughs> but it's not, it's not a chokhmah, it's like not a big, it's not like, it's easy for it to be acceptable nowadays because, because we are born, this is 2020, we, we go to school, we're educated and we know that we, this Greek, these two schools of thoughts aren't like a new thing, a new thing of, uh, of thinking about life. We, we know there's different, there's, it's just two out of so many. And it's just like, it's passe, it's like not even new. And it's not that we're so much smarter, but we're so much more experienced, even though we're like younger, maybe in age, but we're so much older in the fact that we have all these philosophies already in our back sack. You know what I mean? Even if we didn't learn them in depth, we kind of know about them and we know their answers. Even if we don't agree with an answer, but we know there are so many answers and so many schools of thought. So just the fact that we know about it already gives us, we're in a different place than somebody in those days, that it was a new thing that he even gets answers to such questions, that these questions are relived and like un un pondered upon. It's crazy. You have to appreciate where we are, but then not to lose the enthusiasm that they had. That is a challenge. So what happened was, actually, there were two students, charismatic students in the class of Antignos, and their name were Baitos and Tzadok. They were in class, and they were not satisfied with Antignos and Sokho's answer. No, no. We have a Midrash that tells us what they said. I have it here. There's a Midrash on Pirkei Avot, and 
It's called Avot de Rabbi Natan. That's the Midrash on Pirkei Avot. And it says, and he brings what they said. They said, How, how come our, this is, this is the Jewish standpoint? This is what Avotenu like, but not Avotenu Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, like Antigonus and the leaders. This is what they have to say. Could, is it possible if we're going along this parable of, of servants serving their, their master or whatever, could it be that, that somebody would serve, would do a job and not expect to get paid? But if they would have known for sure, if our leaders would have known for sure, if the Rabbein, our spiritual leaders would know for sure that there is such a concept of tchiyat amitim, of uh, resurrection of the dead, and olam haba, they would not say such a thing. If they tell us, go and do things in life, and do not expect to get a prize, that means that really, 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 they don't believe that there is a prize. Because if, if there is a reward, if there is a prize, we are supposed to get something for, you know, serving Hashem, then why would they tell us, like, you know, it's a thumb rule, do not do everything so it's not to expect to get rewarded. Get it? Because you are okay, not yet. Not only you, me too. Like, we're okay, it sounds, makes sense. But if, if this question of what we're doing, what is the point of this world, and what is the meaning in, in our lives, is, is a really gnawing question in your it really gnaws in your, in your existence, you really, really want to know, then such an answer might not suffice. Because again, you would think this is like, sounds like, you know, like, um, why would they say that? Do not expect, if they really, they really was Tchiyat HaMitim and Olam they would not tell us to, why not? Why not to expect that? Even if you don't, you shouldn't do things in order to get a prize, but how could you tell us do everything in order to not go, like, regardless of the prize? It, 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 that's such, if you're making such a point out of it, that means you don't really believe that there's a prize at the end of the day. You don't really believe in the reward to come. Get it? Uh, I'll tell you a short story here that has to do, uh, that has to do with this. Golni uh, Vilna. Whoa. <laughs> he has great stories. Once, this is a story that happened. I don't remember where, uh, I think he was in Russia. I'm not sure. Somewhere in Europe. Vilna, maybe? Ah, go on with Vilna. Of course he was in Vilna. <clears throat> and once, there was one year when, before Sukkot, the holiday of Sukkot, there was nowhere to be found etrogim. You know etrog, that, like the big lemon, citrus, whatever it's called, that, that big, that you have on Sukkot? So there was nowhere to be found. It was hard, very hard to get. And nobody in, the, in, that, in Vilna had it. And then just before Chag came like, this Jewish merchant. And he had, he had a nice etrog. He had a great etrog. He had the four minim he came from I don't know where. And he had with him the albata minim, the four uh, species, and an etrog. So the, the, the you know, the, the chassidim, well, not, not chassidim, he wasn't, wasn't a chassid. But the people of the Tamilim or whatever, the people of the Gondim Vilna said, wanted to buy this etrog from this merchant. They said, please, can we buy it from you? He said, nope, not selling. We'll give you twice the, the amount you paid for it. He said, no, we'll give you 10 times the amount you paid for it. He said, no, I won't sell it for any, like for any fortune in the world. I want the mitzvah of the four species and these four species. He said, if you want, you can use mine. I'll lend it to you, but I don't want to sell it. 
I want the mitzvah of having the albat and the you know, the full mitzvah of investing in these four species. So they said that to the Golden Vilna, to the, you know, the Vilna Gaona. He said, well, so he said, he came, he asked the guy to come specifically, talk to him face to face, he said, I'll give you, what, what can I, what can I offer you for you to, to, for you to give me the, this etrog? It's almost Sukkot already, whatever, what can I offer you? And, and the guy said, well, you know what, if you give me the reward of the mitzvah, if I, if I, I'll give it to you no money, and all I want is the reward that, that you would get in Lamaba for committing this mitzvah, because I know you are the Gon Mubina, for sure, you, when you, you know, when you hold the Albat Minim, you probably have, you do it in a much higher level, and you have much more kavanot and everything, for me, just a simple merchant does it. So if you give me the reward of, of the mitzvah, of the mitzvah of Albat Minim, and of, even of all of Sukkot, then I'll give you the etog. And, and they said, the story goes, that the Gomi Vilna had this huge smile spread upon his whole face. His whole face like lit up, like deal. And so he gets the etrog, and that was the, no one ever saw him, I mean, he was always happy on Sukkot, but that happiness that he had that year in Sukkot exceeded all that, like the happiness that he ever had in all the Sukkot. And they asked him, whoa, how can he be so, what made him so, he was like, how was it called? Eliminated, limited, like full of light. That's okay. why, why are you so so happy? He said, finally, finally, I can make, I can perform a mitzvah without ultimate proof of not doing it for the reward. Finally, I can actually make a mitzvah just because I love Hashem and I want to do what He tells me to do, and I, and there's no reward, not because of reward. Like nobody can, no touch of reward. He said that he was so happy for being able to do the mitzvah of albat minim in that, like, in that way, without having any, which is exactly this Mishnah. Like, if, so, if you're connected to Hashem and you want to really do things for the right reason, then that, that gave him the most happiness. That gave him, like, the ultimate, like, ah, the right reason. You know? <laughs> There's a lot of, like, stories that have the same more, but that, was, that story I've heard, I saw in different places, so it just, it just has to be true. Okay, but they, so, you really should do it not in order to get a prize. If you win in such a way, will be on you. Mora with an Aleph, again, it's not with a hey. Mora with a hey is teacher. Mora with a, an Aleph is like from the word Yirat Shemayim, which is fear, like fear of God. Or, or A-W-E-R-R-R, ah, I don't know how to say that. Of God, yeah. That would be on you. So, uh, well, we only have 10 minutes because there's so much more to say, but I'll try to like just take here and there what Ben Ishai says. What I said till now is kind of shut. I'm just reading the, the, just what it says to give you some background and not any commentary. It's just building into the, what it says and bringing stories to make the point stronger. But so this thing before we go back says the Ben Ishchai, which again is the commentator that we're going through, right? The Sephardi commentator, the head of Baghdad, Baghdad, just a hundred years ago. He said, first of all, he says, on you is more that it's more that you'll just gain Yerat Shemaim. If you do it in such a way, it's more than just gaining Yerat Shemaim. Yerat Shemaim would be on you. It, it gives an example. He says, if you have a wallet with money, 
So you put the wallet in your pocket. And then if you're looking for the wallet, you have to take it out of your pocket and there's your wallet. Nobody knows if you have a wallet, if you have money or not. Um, you know, it's not, it's not obvious. It's in your pocket, it's in you. But your clothes are on you. It's not in you, alechem is on you. And somebody who sees you, maybe before even, maybe before he sees your face, you can see what's, what you are wearing. God fearing should be on you, not in you, like in your pocket or something inside that nobody can see. It will be so obvious if you do things for this right reason, for in order to not get a reward, then it's a, it's as if you're wearing Yad Shemayim. It'll be like obvious, like people will see the light from far. It's like, like, a, like a dress that you're wearing and it, that illuminates. And that could also save you from the trouble, like obstacles, but also that's like shows you that you're on the right track. That is what Ben Ishchai says about Morashamayim Alechem on you. Another thing that he says about Vihi Morashamayim Alechem, Shamayim, this is a nice word. Shamayim is from the word Ish and Maim. Ish, Maim, Shamayim. Okay? Ish, Maim makes the word Shamayim. So, why? If you look at the skies, the skies you have. You have clouds, you have water, whether they're from the oceans or whatever, but there's different waters in the skies. There's water, and there's also bodies of fire. Like there's, there's well, there's stars and there's the sun. So you have, in Shemayim, in heavens, you have, you have water and you have sun and you have fire. And they're both up there. And the sun doesn't, um, you know, doesn't, how you say it doesn't dry the water and the water doesn't fin doesn't like uh, doesn't how do you say doesn't low like they don't even though they're opposites they don't they both are up there and no, none of them negates the other so he says we should we should be like the shaman if we have things they have things that draw us to one end and we have emotions or yet or whatever just another we have things that are opposite within us but we should have peace. If we go by God's guidelines and go by the Torah, then your whole like human, what makes you up as a human being, the human being that you are, should be like one whole. If it's if it's like um, connected, and if it's guided according to the Torah, and that is Yirat I'm not sure I explained that well enough. Honestly, uh, if you're saying something that you're muted, so I can't hear you. Ah, no? Okay. We were talking about Yerushimayim. It says Mora. Okay. Okay. And I want to ask is Paraz the same as, like, is it similar to Parnassa? Like the prize and Parnassa? No, because um, there's the, we're missing like a. a not what's it called? There's a vowel and there's what's the other thing? There's a vowel and there's a consonant. Consonant. So the nun is a consonant. You can't just disregard it. It's, it's part of the word palnasa. You can't just disregard the word and say, well, there's a one. You know, so different. So pras is prize, and palnasa is something else. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So, but he said, okay. Another thing he says about morashamayim is you look up into the skies. 
this is another idea that Ben Ishai says. And we'll go soon back to the plus if we have time, because he also says a lot about the word plus, which is Christ. We'll see if you have time. But also I like what he says about about having the fear of heavens upon you. One thing we said, which we said now is Shamayim is Ish and Mayim. That means you have opposite things, but they all stand still. They all, they don't negate each other because of God's will. So again, every if you have things in your in your personality that stretch to one side and all, you have things like Yetzotov, Yetzotov, things that this way and that way, they should be in peace if you're going, if you're, if they have one thing guiding, if you go about the Torah, it should make you like one whole being with, with everything. You don't have to, one does not negate the other. You have room for everything, things that are opposite even, but they will still be in peace like Shemaim, Shemaim, if they go by God's will, just like God's will make the Shemaim stay, the fire and the water stay in heaven and not negate each other. And then if you listen, if you want to worship God and serve God like you for the right reason, then that should make peace between different powers that you have in your personality, in your character, within your framework of as, a, as a human being, because you're doing God's will, just like the Shemaim. And that is Yerat Shemaim according to the Ben Yishai. That was one thing that he said. Another thing that he says is, and it's, I thought, wow, even though he said it like 100 years ago, it's so relevant for today, Mora Shemaim, says like, if you... Just if you need like to fear God, if you're missing it, and you feel like you, you, you want to have more fear of God, but you don't know how, he said, just look up to the Shemaim. Because if you don't look up in Shemaim, if you're just in the present reality of today, you just look, you look to the right, you look to the left, you look down. What do you see? Usually you see what, what's man-made. You see buildings, you see, you see roads. You don't see, you don't see the ants underneath the road. You don't see the cockroaches. You don't, well, hopefully you don't see cockroaches, of course. That was a bad example. But I mean, you don't see life. You see cement. You see, you see a house. You see things. You think man, man-made things that are like, that are industrial and that are covering the planet. But if you look up in Shemayim, even though today is 2020, the, the Shemayim that we see today, Somebody in the time of Antignus, this Mishnah, or the time much more, much before, Adam Rishon, or Avraham Yitzhak Yaakov, doesn't matter, any person, whether Jewish or not Jewish, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, we, anyone who looks up into Shemayim still sees the same. There's no, nothing is covered. There's no, like, buildings or, you know, cars and everything. It's the same. Shemayim stays the same. Whatever, God created Shemayim and he created the earth. Earth changed completely. You can forget about Earth. You can forget about glass and everything, especially if you're in quarantine, right? <laughs> but Shemaim stays Shemaim. So if you're looking to have some Yirat Shemaim, says that is the way to do it. Just look into the Shemaim. Take, like, peace out. Look into the Shemaim. Just concentrate. These are the same Shemaim. They stay the same just as God created them. And what does that show us of the power of God? So if, you, if you're missing it, if you're like, yes, Jesus says, just lift up your head and look at the Shemaim, and that gives you more. And that will give you Yerat Shemaim. That was a nice vote. So, he said a lot about the word prize also, but I thought we'd get to it, but I see we don't have time, and I, I would do it next time also, but you probably want to, um, to proceed and go to another Mishnah next time, right? Maybe should do another Mishnah, even though he says a lot about, gives a totally different outlook on the word prize. But we'll, we'll skip it. I'll just say what Maimonides says, because that's short. He pinpoints the word prize, and he says, even the fact that Antignos did not say, do not 
expect to get reward, to get like paid, to get um, your salary in this world. You do a mitzvah, then you get your salary. Does not even expect to get a prize. That means he's talking, he's beyond the first level of someone, like the childish level, let's say, of someone who says, well, I'll do this mitzvah because I want to, I don't want to get punished. Or I want to get rewarded. It says, of course, everybody would agree that. We all agree that. We, but we're beyond that. We're in the past, past that stage of doing things just because you don't want to be punished and you want to get a reward. It says, even if you realize that whatever you get, whatever reward you get, is not because you deserve it, because he has to pay you, but it's, it's a prize. A prize is something that's not connected uh, directly to the work that you put in, it's, right? I mean, you have a salary. He didn't say, do not expect to get, like, to get uh, a salary, to get the, the reward for what, the, according to the amount of work you put in. He said, do not even expect to get a prize. A prize is something unrelated to the amount of work you put. You, you go into a parade, you have, what's it called, a fair, and you, you know, you shoot those things, and then you can win or you can not win. If you win, you get a prize. It has nothing, you can be lucky and get in on your first shot, and get that balloon, and then get a prize. A prize has nothing to do with the amount of, of work you put in. Even that, he says, even if you realize that what you get is a prize, it's not, it's not coming to you. Even if you realize it's a prize, even then, you, even for that, you should not be mechanical, not to get the, something that you know that is just a prize. I, I know I don't deserve it, but it would be nice to get it. And he says, no, even that, beyond that, do not even expect to get a prize. And that is why Tzadok and Betus, where I mentioned before, that's why they said, it doesn't sound real. We don't believe you. We, we, can't, we can't accept it, that you can't even expect a prize, that you cannot accept anything. If you really, if you would really believe in Tchiyat HaMetim and things that are promised to us, even in this week's parasha, yeah, it says what if you if you do the mitzvot you should get this and this and this if you don't you get punished by this and this and this so what's the, if you really believe that you would get in this in this world or this it doesn't mean it doesn't matter but there's there's a god and there's some kind of of, of you know of a structure of, of doing the right thing and getting like a karma getting good back to you you can call it karma you can call it reward you can call it god theory but something if you don't if you don't how can you not, if you really believe that it's, it's deser- that, that is the way life is designed, again, you call it karma, you call it God, you call it whatever, but if you do good, you get good. If you really believe in that, how can you say like that, work as if in order to not expect to get anything, not even a prize, not a reward, not a salary, not a prize. That doesn't sound innocent, that's what they say. You cannot say that with, in truth, being 100% with integrity, and, and believe that you believe that you should get it, but work as if not. How could how could those two things reconcile? Food for thought. I'm just saying it so that you see that it's not so simple. You like you really have to understand both sides and then appreciate them more. But even so, that is what Antino said. Yes, this is the way he said. If you really want to have Murash and Marimalichem, fear of God on you, this is the way you're supposed to go in life. As if like, like the story of the Golden Vilna, how happy was he when he could do the mitzvah, perform the mitzvah, knowing that he's not going to get the prize. He knew that he sold the prize, the reward, whatever you get for the mitzvah of holding the four minutes, he sold it to that merchant. He knew that he's not going to get it, and that's when he was happiest. That's when he had, that's when he was happiest. Tov, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you to Hella.
Pleasure to see you guys, really. Thank you, all of you. It's, it's good for me to say these things also, you know, it brings me to... Uh, Thank you, you're the best. Reminds me what's important in life. <laughs> Thanks for your uh, wise words. Bye. You're the best. Mwah.